into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! Playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs? You kidding me? I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Hello? You play to win the game. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. I don't believe what I just saw. One of the all-time shockers. Hi, everyone. I'm Mitch Goldich, and welcome to episode 17 of my very creatively named Mitch Goldich podcast. It's been a little while since I checked in here, so for those of you who don't know, I was just in South Korea for three weeks to cover the Winter Olympics for Sports Illustrated. I wrote a bunch of stories. If you want to go check them out, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mitch Goldich and search Mitch Goldich on Facebook to find my public page over there. I tweeted about a thousand times from Korea, I think, but on Facebook, I just post a link to everything that I publish one time. So either way, make sure you go check it out. Keep up with all my other work. Now, one other note before I get to my guest, I have mentioned before that I started a new podcast called Mitch Eats Food, and I have two episodes about a couple of incredible meals that I had in Korea. One is already posted for sure. The other will be soon, or it might already be by the time you listen to this. So the the thing to know, though, there is a separate feed, so you have to make sure that you're subscribed. You can go check out Mitch Eats Food in iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play, basically wherever you listen to this one. It's been a ton of fun since I started, so I hope that if you you enjoy this podcast and you're already subscribed here, you'll go check me out on another feed as well. Now, the reason I bring up my time in Korea is because I have a guest today who is also there covering the Olympics. It's somebody whose work I enjoy, but who I had never actually met before until we were both over there. It is Hannah Kaiser from Deadspin, who was not only also covering the Olympics, but also there for her first time. So I thought it'd be fun to bring her on now that we're back in the States and compare notes for both of us as first timers covering the Olympics. So hi, Hannah. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure thing. Um, you're powering through. I think you said that you're still really jet lagged. How many how I'm many days really have you been home? <laughs> I've been home for like five days, so I should not still be jet lagged. Uh, I think it's getting worse. I got back at like so I went I went to Seoul for a few days uh, after the Olympics, and then when I got back, we landed at like eleven o'clock at night or whatever, and I was like, I'm tired. Look at me not being jet lagged, going to sleep at a nice reasonable hour. And then just getting increasingly jet lagged since then, uh, like waking up in the middle of the night, needing food and then sleeping all day. I think I'm just not doing a good job of powering through. Mm. I'm like letting the jet lag take over. But you said you're not that jet lagged. I feel pretty good. I uh, So my flight landed at 10 a.m. on Monday. I took off at 10 a.m. and then landed at the same time on the same day, which is a weird, dorky thing that I love when that happens with time zones. Um, So I just, like, stayed awake the whole night before and then slept a normal night on the plane and then tried to power through to that night. So I feel mostly okay at this point. I've still been waking up early, though, which is weird and unlike me. You can sleep on the plane is, I think, the key. So I don't sleep on planes. Uh, which makes like 25 hours of travel a special hell. Yeah. Um, and so I think that I I might not even be jet lagged. I might literally just still be tired from covering the Olympics and then not sleeping on a plane. Uh, well, this. But is... yeah, I'm I'm impressed that you're <laughs> you're getting over it. I'm I'm gonna like hang on to this one for a while. And like anytime anyone's like, you messed up. I'm gonna be like, well, have you heard that I'm jet lagged from the Olympics? Oh, that is nice. I, I'm still using it as an excuse, even if I'm not jet lagged. 
Um, oh, okay, cool. But this is this is exactly what everyone wants to hear. They want to hear media people complaining about travel <laughs> and jet lag. And next we can talk about how cold it was and how bad the Wi-Fi was, was in spots because that's what everyone wants and to hear us complain about. Great. Yeah, no. <laughs> let's let's do more of this whining. My like very first Olympics tweet was something about like uh, JFK Airport, and then I was like, oh no, I'm one of them. Yeah, especially um, so soon after the Super Bowl, I was very sensitive to the idea of like, don't complain about how cold it is because that's all that anyone talked to if, who went to the Super Bowl the week before we left. To be fair, they only had to be outside for like three hours. I agree. We had it much, much worse. But I was, I was <laughs> kidding. We're not actually doing this. So, okay, so it was your first Olympics, and that's why I wanted to have you on. Um, well, not the only reason, but that was one of the reasons is that it was your first and it was my first Olympics. So I thought it'd be fun to sort of compare notes and talk about our experiences there uh, as first timers. Um, it was yeah. funny. We had never met in real life and then we were on the same shuttle and it was my first night. It was like 20 minutes after I got into my apartment there and I saw you tweeted something about like some something that somebody on our bus had said. And I responded and was like, I think we were just on the same shuttle, uh, but I was exhausted and didn't talk to you. I think we were just like standing near each other exhaustedly. Um, and then yeah, I, yeah, uh... well, see, this is the problem. In order to talk about the Olympics, we're going to end up talking about a lot of transportation and a lot of exhaustion mm-hmm. because I feel like we actually repeated that experience many times throughout the Olympics. Yeah, where I'd were... be like, oh look, you're on my shuttle again. Don't speak to me. I'm going to sit here silently yeah. and try to recover. <laughs> That's true. There were a couple times we met and we talked and were chatty a little bit and friendly, and then there were other times where it was like, I need my space, or I could tell you needed space, and it was just like headphones yeah. in. Let's survive this ride, and uh, and then maybe we'll try again tomorrow um so that was uh, was a lot of the olympics it was like i feel like everyone i talked to at the olympics there was like a wonderful level of intimacy and camaraderie that came from being like oh so what's up with you and then someone would be like i don't want to talk i just (laughs) want to stay quietly and i'm like you know what me too thanks for saying (laughs) well there wasn't a lot of quiet time except for the shuttles so sometimes i felt like i needed that that was my one like reset for the day before i got home and could go to sleep Right. Okay. So let's talk about let's talk the actual about sports, maybe. <laughs> yes. So, um, so how I'm curious how interested you were in the Olympics, because um, and I think you had said Deadspin had never had someone credentialed at the Olympics before. So is this something like have you always been an Olympics fan, and this was a dream of yours to go cover them? Um, you know. Where... No, I wish I could say that I was. That would be a great story. Um, what happened was it's always been a dream of my husband's. Uh, he is an editor at the Associated Press. Jake Fenner, go follow him on Twitter. Uh, and he, it, it was, it's always been a dream of his to cover the Olympics. In fact, that's like part of why he wanted to work for the AP because they send so many people and it increases your chances of getting to go. Uh, and so he knew like a year out that he was going to be going. Um, and so I had started to think it would be cool to also go as opposed to spend a month apart. Uh, and I asked the dead spit a bunch of times if I could apply for credentials. And the sort of <laughs> the theory at Deadspin is like you can do whatever you want as long as you figure it out on your own. And so they had always been like, Yeah, I guess you can cover the Olympics. Like, we don't know how, but if you want to figure that out, by all means. Um and I somehow managed to miss the deadline for credentials despite having like eighteen months of forewarning from Jake. And then I ended up emailing the USOC, and I was like, oh, God, you know, I didn't apply for a credential, but on the only chance that anyone returns their credential, can I get it? And that worked. So that is, like, my biggest tip from the Olympics is that if you ever miss a credential deadline, 
email them and ask for any credential that somebody returns because that's how I ended up going to the Olympics. They were like, a few months later, they were like, oh, yeah, someone someone turned in their credential, which, bummer for that person. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I wish I could say I was a huge Olympics fan. Um, I am a big summer Olympics fan. Uh, hopefully I will see you again in, <laughs> in two years in Tokyo uh, because I grew up horseback riding. And the only time that's even a tiny little bit relevant is during the Olympics. Um, so I was actually slightly terrified going into the Winter Olympics because, one, I don't know the sports that well. Not that anyone is like, I don't know, a big alpine skiing fan the rest of the three years. Um, and also, I'm terrible at the cold. So I kind of applied, I like, because I hadn't, I wasn't even sure if I was going to get this credential. I had just sort of like sent this email off on a whim. Uh, it, it, I was sort of in denial, like, until we were on the plane going there. Like, almost I was like, like, wait, what? I'm covering the Olympics? <laughs> almost hoping that they would say no. Well, I wasn't hoping that they would say no, but I was sort of like, this will be weird. Maybe I'll figure out, like, yeah, you know, the Olympics, that'll be cool. And then uh, it worked out. It, like, all came together sort of last minute. Um, but, yeah, I am thrilled to have done it. It was an <laughs> incredible it's an incredible experience. I think I've probably enjoyed it. I've never covered, I've never covered like a Super Bowl or something like that. And I think that the Olympics are probably more fun than that. And so I'm, I'm glad to have done the Olympics first because it's like you get a lot of chances every day. There's like 15 sports happening, and you can try again to get a great story. Um, why are you a huge like Olympics buff? I, yeah, I've always loved the Olympics. I'm with you in that I always have loved the summer Olympics a lot more than the winter, but also still, I, I say that, and then the winter Olympics roll around, and I'm still watching on TV 16 hours a day, usually. Um, so, yeah, it was something that I had uh, mentioned at work. after. So I during uh, the Rio Olympics, I did not go, but I hosted a podcast for SI, so I was watching uh like again 16 hours a day during rio and then i had mentioned to my i had mentioned to my boss after that uh you know i'd love to go to tokyo and hey i'd love to go to uh korea in 2018 and that's like you know so far down the line that it's like uh you know i think most people in sports are just hoping they'll still have a job uh four years down the line or two years down the line um but then uh uh, you know, a few months went on and they actually were in the situation where they needed to figure out who was going to go. And then my boss approached me and said, hey, we're figuring out the team that's going to come to Korea and asked me if I would uh, like to go. And the answer was yes on the spot. And he said that was, you know, what he expected me to say, but still thought he'd phrase it as a question. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was uh, it was also I mean, it was also a little bit uh, terrifying in that, you know, I think I know the rules in biathlon and, uh, you know, short track and some of the other sports, or at least most of the important rules, but it was still a lot of prep and research and figuring out like, okay, who are the good people in this and learning some of the history. And, uh, cause I think it's a different level when you're sitting at home watching the broadcast and tweeting snark about the sports that you're watching versus actually being there and having to talk to the athletes and not wanting to look stupid in front of other media people who cover that sport year round, which is always a big concern. I think, uh, when you're sort of like an imposter and you're there covering curling for the first time, um, yeah, absolutely. I actually think that, like, in some ways, the people back home have this big advantage, which is the broadcast. Like, I, I tried to convey to my coworkers, my editors before I left, that like, I was like, I will not 
see NBC the entire time I'm there. So it's like, weird to follow without that. They're explaining to you like, like I was like, if I'm at some speed skating event and they're like, oh my goodness, this person's going the fastest a human has ever speed skated. Like, I don't necessarily know that because I don't have the context of like a very smart analyst telling me what's happening as I'm watching it on TV. And I found that to be particularly difficult, this feeling of like, Seeing things on the ground level in some ways makes it more difficult to actually figure out, like, what is happening. Like, like the skiing. You go to the skiing and you see the last second and a half of everybody's run. And then you're like, well, wait, I have no idea who went the fastest. Like, I just saw everybody come down. It's You don't actually have the benefit of, like, and that's difficult. Like, you're getting such a different perspective that you're not you're not getting the, like, who is winning necessarily perspective all the time, if that makes sense. Did you feel that way? Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so I was there as a producer more so than a writer. I still got to write a handful of things while I was there, but a lot of my job was spent, uh, as like a back and forth, uh, logistics kind of person with our office in New York and our people on the ground and everything. So there was one night, um, I think it was the, uh, ladies figure skating program and we wanted to do, we decided we should have someone doing a live blog and somebody asked me, well, you know, is that something you'd be able to do? And I was like, honestly, I can't because I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be in the office. And our the TV broadcast, it's not even that you don't get NBC. We didn't have any broadcasters. So it was it was mm-hmm. fun for a sport like curling where you can actually hear the players talking because you don't have yes, anyone talking yeah. over them. Um, but for some sports, it's just impossible to know what's going on. Uh, and, and not only that, so I was prepared for that. What I couldn't believe was even the NBC Olympics tweets – didn't work because you're uh, yeah, you whatever the video, they yeah yeah they blocked the location so I I knew I you know I wasn't gonna have Mike Tarico or you know I wasn't gonna have I, I haven't heard any Tara and Johnny all month uh, going through a little withdrawal missing out on them but um, even just not when you see all the NBC Olympics tweets in your timeline and everybody's sharing them and embedding those into posts and not even being able to watch that like I don't think I saw everyone went crazy about Chloe Kim and how awesome she was I don't think that I saw her run for like four days afterward because I wasn't able to see it at the time because I was doing something else and then uh, for days it was like all anyone had was the NBC Olympics tweet and it took me a while before I was finally like okay I should uh, I should go seek that out and go take a look and see how good it was myself well, that's the other thing is you only see really one event a day. And so, like, people would be like, oh, my God, did you see the, like, Chloe Kim run? And you were like, oh, nope. actually, <laughs> I was at, like, the practice round for biathlon. You know what I mean? Like, you'd be like, well, I can't just, like, slip over in the channel to see that. Um, that was something that, like, yeah, I actually, well, I actually did see the Chloe Kim run. Although, so that was one where, like, I went to see it. And I realized this is the hardest thing for me. So I didn't have any particular assignments. I was completely on my own, uh, 14 hours ahead of all my editors, uh, and had no idea what I should be doing. Um, And so every day I would sort of like embark and go to some venue just for some event and try to figure out if there was an interesting story there. And that was one where I went to the women's half pipe because I thought this would be so cool, you know, like I actually didn't know that. Chloe Kim was going to be a huge story. I just thought that women's half pipe sounded super fun. Got there, quickly realized that Chloe Kim was going to be such a huge story. And then correspondingly quickly realized that like all the media was there. Like every columnist was there (laughs) from every outlet. And so I was like, oh, you know, like, and I also, not only was every columnist there for every outlet, they were all doing, no offense to anybody who wrote this. I read like four or five versions of it and they were all fantastic. 
everyone was writing the story about Chloe Kim's family because that's the big thing at the Olympics if you're out at the event is to try to find the family because then you can make it seem like there's a scene. And I realized that everybody had found her family. Uh, I realized this in part because my husband was one of those people who was there and had found her family and he was standing next to uh, June from uh, Bleacher Report and Jeff Passan from Yahoo. I was like, oh God, everyone is standing here getting these like parent stories. Uh, and so I was like, I, got, I can't do this. Like this is gonna be, I can't write, first of all, I can't write the same story as my husband. That was the big thing of the Olympics. We couldn't cover the same shit. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted to stay and watch it, but I was like, I got to go somewhere else because it takes forever to get everywhere. We're not going to delve into the transportation woes, but it took forever to get anywhere. And so I stayed just long enough to see Chloe Kim do her run and then immediately ran, hopped in a bus. I was like, I got to find somewhere else where like not everybody already is getting the same story. Yeah. And that was like, that was like the emblematic Olympic experience of being like, here's a really cool thing happening. Oh no, I'm like the last person here. I know nothing about snowboard. I didn't realize Chloe Kim was a story coming in. I'm already behind the eight ball. I got to go somewhere else and find a different story. Yeah. So that, that reminds me of two things. So one, we had that with, um, Sean Gregory, who's a writer for time was there, uh, working for time and SI. And so the day that Red Gerard, the, uh, 17 maybe he's 18 the uh kind of apathetic uh guy who didn't realize the olympics (laughs) were a big deal so anyway uh sean gregory is like oh my god i got the best story i was with his family they were shotgunning beers they were crazy i got all these quotes i've got it it's awesome and we're like okay sounds great you know that's like an incredible thing and then like you know i think uh two hours later he said that quote to everybody yeah and it was like and then he yeah he not only said it to people but then he said it like up at the podium at the press conference and then i saw like an hour later i think it was adam kilgore at the washington post had like the same story it was like i saw their family shotgunning beers and it's like it's so hard it's even at the point where like if i had a good question i wrote kind of like a rookie diary at the end so some of these uh some of my talking points today are not uh things i just thought of for the first time now uh but uh one of the things i wrote about was like when you're in the scrum in the mix zone it's almost like if you ask a good question and get a great answer everyone else is just going to take it anyway so it's like almost yep, like it's, what's yep. the point of coming up with that uh amazing angle but yeah the thing that uh that's that surprised me maybe this shouldn't have been a surprise but the thing that i noticed so much about covering things was you could tell who had done the legwork ahead of time uh which was oftentimes not me but there were just people who had already (laughs) they knew the athlete and the coaches and the family and you know after the race they were able to call up whoever and get all those quotes and that additional color and, you know, I think that's fine. Like a lot of people are just parachuting in and they say, I'm going to check out the speed skating. I'm going to check out the biathlon or whatever, you know, that crazy cross country skiing finish and all kinds of things. And a lot of people are just doing their best and you capture the scenes and tell people what it was like to be there that day. And then there are some people who just, you know, really the work that they do like six months out, a year out to have everything in advance that those are the people that, um, you know, watching them work and seeing some of the things that they were putting together just blew me away how good it was and you know to be able to turn around a story that quickly on deadline with all that extra context um you know some of those it was it was really cool watching watching some of the, the stories that were coming out and you'd look at somebody and just be like how the hell did you do that today and it, it was amazing to see that well that's i mean that's something where there was a huge difference i felt like between people who had beats and people who didn't and i'm going to try to not talk about the associated press in every one of my answers but i got i was i was living in the associated press housing because 
Deadspin didn't spring for a month worth of hotels. Uh, and, and so I had like a very, a very upfront row view to the way they work, which is, you know, could not possibly be more different from Deadspin. The AP sends, I don't know, like somewhere between 75 and 100 people. They have an actual office space that has fucking filing cabinets and like people answering phones and stuff like that. Um, I imagine SI has something somewhere in between what Desmond had was just me and what the AP had. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we were in between. And they have enough people that they have someone, they have someone at every, actually they have three people. So they send three people to every sport every day. And it's the same three people. Um, and so those people like, like the guy covering Alpine skiing lives in like Switzerland and covers Alpine skiing all the time. And he had it was him and two other people every day, Alpine skiing, whether they were training, qualifying gold medal round. And that's just such a different perspective on the sport than showing up and being like, who's the story? Michaela Schifrin. Tell me about her, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, um, yeah. SI, we had Tim Layden who has done this, you know, for this, I think it was his seventh winter Olympics. And he, this is just what he does there. And it's amazing how much extra context and color he has. You know, he had written profiles before the Olympics on Schifrin and Lindsey Vaughn and knew everybody. And so, like, I didn't see any alpine skiing because we sent Tim there every day. And then we had some other writers who would pick and choose kind of the biggest stories. And then my spot, I would uh, look for, like, the smaller things and the things that we weren't going to have anyone else at. And that's fine. Like, I knew that going in. I'm not complaining at all. And I actually like doing that anyway. For me, it was fun to kind of... Uh, you know, look for the hidden things that nobody else was doing instead of, you know, being, uh, you know, our second or third person at Michaela Schifrin's race or something like that. Um, but right. yeah, it's, it, yeah, you're right. The difference, I mean, being on the beat, like Michaela Schifrin's mom is her coach and like being able to just like call her up and say, Hey, I'm going to call you after the race is just such an advantage. And, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was funny. It was the only athlete I had met coming in was Adam Rippon. Uh-huh. And I thought, this will be great. I know an athlete coming in. And then that turned out to be like, oh, no. Yeah, That's you were, the athlete everybody wants to yeah, talk to. And you weren't like, the only person like, who wanted to talk to Adam Rapon. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. Like, I thought, like, for sure, that'll give me a leg up. And he did not give me a leg up. He did. Like, I thought maybe he recognized me in the mix zone. But again, like, being recognized in the mix zone just means that, like, maybe you'll get a good answer that everybody else will also hear. Yeah. Um, As we're all and jamming I actually, like, iPhones into somebody's tried face. Get, I tried to get Adam Rabon. So I was like, hey, I know him and like know his PR guy and stuff. Uh, and I was told that NBC had exclusive Adam Rabon interview rights until the Olympics were over. Yeah. Well, that, that whole yeah, story I mean, where he like signed with them and then like went back on it, which was like a whole weird thing. But yeah, I think uh, I think that happened to a lot of people who wanted to talk to him, and then he became a star. So I just saw he. he uh, I think he's at the Oscars now, wearing something crazy. So I think he's he's he he's, he's the, the guy who uh, transcended sports and is now just going to be an actual celebrity. So, but yeah. It, although actually, I feel like my experience with that was something that, like, if it wasn't my first Olympic, maybe I would have done a little better. Which is, I met him way back uh, around Thanksgiving at an event up in Lake Placid. And I thought, he seems great. I'm going to be at the Olympics. I'll talk to him at the Olympics. And then, like, went to the Olympics. I was like, oh, it's hard to talk to him at the Olympics. Whereas, like, if now it sounds incredibly stupid, because if I had, like, even one day of Olympics worth of forethought, I would have been like, I should definitely talk to him between Thanksgiving and the Olympics. (laughs) So I have something ready to go. Like, I thought, oh, that, like, tiny level of familiarity 
will be enough to sort of like grab something good at the Olympics. But no, that's not true. You're competing with like all the best reporters from all over the world. And if you want any sort of exclusive, like that's what the months leading up to the Olympics are for. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I'm curious, like how, uh, your coverage or style of coverage changed during the games? Because obviously we both, and I think everyone there doing it for the first time, you learn a lot and some of these things that now seem really obvious to us. But as far as, uh, I know you, you said you had all kinds of flexibility and freedom that, that Deadspin basically said, go and do whatever you want and it'll be cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as it went along and you saw what the first few days were like, um, I think I just made a weird noise because I think my Dropbox is full. That's fine. We'll leave that in. Um how uh how after the first few days did your uh like strategy change and the the kinds of things oh, that, that you such a good question. not just wanted <laughs> to do but realize you were able to do no that's a really good question um i feel like the yeah the so the first night i went to the opening ceremony and i came back from the opening ceremony and i sat in the media press center and i just sobbed i was just crying because i was like i don't know what to write i just went to the world Olympic opening ceremony, the biggest thing that was happening across the globe tonight, and I don't know what to write about it. And I ended up writing something stupid about the opening ceremony and how cold it was, of course. Um, but yeah, I sort of realized that, like, I that you got to do something. I wish I had done even more differentness, like getting more, getting basically, I got more and more off the beaten path, and found that that I found that like going to Chloe Kim's snowboard halfpipe run and watching it live and realizing like basically all the things we talked about, like watching it live and being like, Oh no, I don't think I could write anything better than someone who watched it on NBC and has that context could write. That was very scary at first and being like, I should, I should know something special from having been here and having like seen her do it live. And I don't. And so I, the biggest thing I learned was that you need either parents or family members and friends, or fans. Like, you need something that's not going to be on TV. So, I don't know, I'm going to hype my own work a little bit here. My favorite thing I wrote at the Olympics, which came out after the Olympics ended, um, was about this uh, U.S. snowboarder named Julia Marino who didn't medal or anything, um, but I spent two full days with her family and ended up sort of writing this like vaguely meta thing about the experience of like finding her family and thinking like, Oh my God, if she medals, this is going to be the best story. I will spend the qualifying round and the gold medal round with them. And I'm going to have the best access. And then she came in like 10th and I was like, well, going to write something anyway, because I've got two days worth of quotes, but yeah, that is that like realizing that you can't just, you can't write a better blog about, the event itself just because you're there you kind of have to like find something else like you know what i mean does that make sense yeah definitely I, even i mean snowboarding is the perfect example because even the names of the tricks and like i would read articles the day after the snowboarding or that night or whatever and it's like well so-and-so did a 1080 corkscrew and followed that up with a this and i was like do they literally like hand out like press sheets like at a basketball game they give you the box score i didn't know if at the snowboarding they give you like a list of all the tricks that they did because otherwise like how in the world could you identify that without uh you know without covering it full time or uh you know having the broadcast or whatever um, I, and actually, so the, the thing about, 
just like going to cover something and hoping it turns into a thing I can definitely identify with because one of yeah. my uh, stories that I wanted to do was about uh, Nigeria had four athletes there and it was the first time ever that they were represented in the Winter Olympics. So I thought, okay, here's a great thing that I can do and I wanted to write about it and I had done a little research and so the first to compete was in Skeleton and I – I uh, was talking to one of our editors and I said, okay, yeah, so I'll go for the, the night of the first heats. And it was like, oh, well, the training runs are two days before. And I was like, okay, like our fans at the training runs, is, does media go to the training runs? And I was like, maybe I'll just, I'll just go and see if it's a story and see if anything happens. And I went and it was a total waste and there was nobody yeah. there. It was kind of, it was cool to be there on a day that there was like almost nobody else. There were some photographers and that was it. And then it was the day of the, uh, the the first and second heat that night, and it was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go back, and uh, I don't really have a story unless there are other there are Nigerians there rooting them on. So my strategy right. was just I'm gonna go and I'm gonna look for people holding the Nigerian flag. And if I don't see anybody, I don't really have a story because I didn't really think I was going to just walk up to strangers and ask them if they were from Nigeria, which felt like that could be a bad idea. Right. So I just yeah, went. Yeah, just some like <laughs> Olympic racial profiling. Yeah, yeah. That, was not, that was not what I was going for at all. So then luckily I got there and as soon as I showed up, there, were, there was a big Nigerian flag at the finish line and I got to talk to people and it was actually the Nigerian Olympic Committee. And I, it was just oh, like, thank God they were there or else it would have just been like a wasted night out in the cold, uh, not to complain about the cold again. Um, but that turned into a, one of my favorite stories that I wrote. And it was just one of those situations where I just said, OK, I'm just going to rearrange my whole day and take the shuttle and show up for a few hours and hope that something's there. And then luckily it worked out. So I can totally identify with that idea of hoping. And then I understand why, even though uh, there was no medal, it was still worth writing about it and the whole experience. And I read that piece and it turned out, well, you know, it could have been an awesome story if she'd won a gold medal, but it still worked out for you that you had this context and turned it into the meta kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, I learned, I learned something that is sort of good both for the Olympics, but also probably just like a good reporter life skill, which is like the Olympics, it's not like the Super Bowl, again, haven't covered it, but it's not like you go to the game and you find a story. There's a lot in the beginning of a lot of like, anxiety around being like oh no i'm in the wrong place like you can very much be in the wrong place you can go to i had i had one particular day where i went to two events that ended up being canceled because of the weather and so didn't see a single sporting event that day um and that feeling of like i was in the wrong place at the wrong time today and now i have nothing and so i learned sort of by the end to like a little bit of like how to commit to a story like Whatever you're interested in, get more interested in it. Like, almost like feign even more interest. Like, I, I'm i still working on a piece, because I'm not great at deadlines, uh, about this American biathlete, because one of the very first days was the, like, American biathlon press conference, and I had sort of random thought once I learned that it's the only winter Olympic sport that America hasn't meddled in. thought, weird, why would anyone subject themselves to such a cold, tiresome sport that we have a history of being bad at, uh, and decided that I was like, that was it. I was just going to figure out why, in particular, this 22-year-old, because there was an older guy who'd been in it for a while, and I thought, why, if you're young, would you start in biathlon now? Like, America is bad at it. There are no events that take place in the U.S. You have to be traveling in Europe the whole season. 
Um, and yeah, I went to like a fucking biathlon. Sorry, I don't know if you can curse on this podcast. Yeah, that's fine. I went to, that's okay. I went to like a biathlon training day, which is like truly the saddest event of the Olympics. There was nobody there. In fact, not only was there nobody there, my biathlete wasn't even there. I like DM'd him and I was like, I don't see you. And he was like, oh, I'm not there. <laughs> uh, and so, but yeah, like I just, you got to commit. You got to be like, all right, whatever happenings in biathlon, I guess I'm going to get, I'm going to feign interest in it until it's true because <laughs> I've decided that there's like a tiny little itty bitty spark of a story here. And rather than compete with 10 other Chloe Kim stories, I'm going to spend my day watching biathlon training in an effort to think of like some vaguely original thought. Yeah. The story of the day that the events just got canceled just uh, gives me such an appreciation for like newspaper writers who just have to file no matter what. And, you know, especially like, you know, back before there was the internet when, you know, what would you do if you go to Alpine skiing and then they just cancel it and then you just have to come up with, you know, however many hundred words about how they canceled it. And that's just got to be so boring and crazy. And, uh, and luckily I, like I didn't have any quota for stories at all, which was nice. And so there was no right. situation. Like I went to cover, uh, Mame Baini's race. She's the, uh, short yeah. track speed skater. And I had done a Q and a with her, uh, before the Olympics, she was my one athlete that I had talked to ahead of time. And so I was really excited to go watch her race and she qualified. I went to the semifinal and she lost and didn't qualify for the final. So it was like 44 seconds and then her night was over and had to have that conversation yep. like, okay, I don't think there's a story here. Um, like, you know, she's interesting and I have a couple quotes from the last time I talked to her, but it's just, you know, nothing worth publishing and that's just frustrating. But thank God I wasn't in a situation where it was just like, you have to file every single day, which, uh, you know, I think would have been a lot tougher for me. Yeah. The day that both my events were canceled, uh, I published a blog ranking the weird statues around the media press. I was going to ask you about this and, uh, and how that came about what I wrote that day. I was like, you know what? (laughs) How... I got nothing else. I saw no sports today, so you're all getting a bunch of pictures of these statues. <laughs> that was very inside baseball. How was that received? Was that a popular post in the States? It was a popular post. People loved it. That's the sort of thing that, like, it, it feels almost too obvious, but, yeah, people loved the, like, what's it like to cover the Olympics? And I was like, well, there's a bunch of weird statues, and yeah. sometimes both of your events get canceled. Um, I have to say that the three dudes, the penis statues – I did yeah. not even notice them there. I walked by them every single day, and, then, and I just didn't notice. I was in my own little I zone. Did. I took a picture and of them then, the very first day. And then that was like, I think that was the lead photo of the story. And I was just like, oh, I yeah. haven't seen that. And then I and then I couldn't look away. Like I saw them every single day, and then I saw other people taking pictures of them, and then I saw people taking pictures of the people who were taking pictures of them. And I just like <laughs> didn't notice them at all for the whole first week or whatever it was. So thanks for uh, pointing that out to me. Of course, happy to help. Um, I'm trying to think, because I, I was going to ask you, and I wanted to ask you about some of your favorite things that you wrote. Um, was there anything else that was just, like, anything that was a lot cooler than you expected? I think, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, not just us, but like everybody, like, complains, or here's what I learned, or this could have been different. Yeah. But, like, some of the things that, like, was there anything, even whether it's a sport or just, like, something about the experience that just stood out because it was, like, a pleasant surprise, either how cool it was being there or seeing it or anything like that? Uh, the women's gold medal hockey game. 
mm. far and away, which is like a like a cheating answer because I, I also wrote about how much more exciting it was than I anticipated. That was the first time. So for a lot of the events, you're like, who are these people that come here uh, and like watch the Olympics? Like it seems sort of like vaguely random, like, like, oh, whatever. It's like people who live nearby or something. The women's gold medal hockey event truly felt like the fans were like deep rooted fans of these teams that were beyond thrilled to have like had to fly around the world to see them on such a big, you know what I mean? Like it, that was the first time that like, while I was there, I was hearing from friends back home that were like, we're watching this and you're there. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, that was the the one sporting event that it felt like I am happy to be here as opposed to just sort of like being told later who was the fastest cross country here or whatever it was. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think of like a non sporting event answer. Um Yeah, did you hmm. get a lot of time to go out and explore the region outside of the Olympics or anything like that? No. Although yes, I did once and got the most amazing meal of my entire life. Which is uh, Gangyong? Am I saying that wrong? I'm saying it I, wrong. I, yeah, I pronounce. I I think like the. I think it's Kangwon. I the G's uh, are pronounced yeah, like K's, yeah, which which, which threw me off when I was trying to. I know that that was like horrible. I, I'm terrible with like the Korean pronunciations. But yeah, I think that's the that's like where thing. the coastal cluster was. Yeah. Yeah, the coastal cluster apparently known for their snow crabs, uh, which I did not learn. From that New York Times piece about how they got incredible snow crabs. I knew that ahead of time. Take that, New York Times. That piece, uh, I got and... I got an email from my brother that just said, have you eaten the blowfish yet? And I was like, <laughs> oh, you also read the New York Times article? And he was like, uh, yes, that is why I'm sending you this. So no, I have not. New York Times article? Uh, I don't know if you are friends with Andrew Carr or what, how you pronounce his last name. I think it's kind of condescending. It was like everybody at the Olympics is just eating McDonald's and like shitty food, whereas I am dining on blowfish and snow crabs, but then refused to list the locations of where any of this incredible food was. And in fact, one of my friends there is friends with him, texted him, and he refused to tell him where the snow crabs were. Oh, wow. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, the food is amazing. All of you, like plebeians who are just eating like shitty media food are missing out and then wouldn't even tell us where it was i think that but was one. okay i went <laughs> i didn't notice that was I condescending because and... i think i treated that one like a listicle where i just like skimmed it to look at the pictures and like read it uh just like got the quick updates it's weird like some of the stories i read when i was sitting at my desk and very alert and enjoying reading them and then there were also a lot of stories where it was like very weird hours just scrolling through on my phone, yeah. which is the same as I do at home in New York, but it was just like more pronounced because there was less sleep and there was like more stuff to read. I felt like I read a ton. I probably could have like distanced myself from it, but there were so many stories on the Olympics yeah, that I, I was I read, just like, let me I scan through I tried to click on this. like every Olympic story I saw, which ended yeah. up being like a ton of them. But I was going to say, so I found my own snow crabs. They were amazing. I went to the snow crab place uh, in the coastal cluster city, which we're not going to try to pronounce again. Right. And it was, they just, there's only one thing you order. It's the snow crabs. And it is literally all you can eat snow crabs, no sides, no sauce, no seasoning. They bring you originally 10 snow crabs on like a giant metal platter. And then if you finish them, they just keep them coming. That's awesome. It was an incredible That's... experience. It was 
worth going to Korea for. <laughs> uh, so I had the same experience in that I didn't do anything fun or interesting on my own except for one day that I got to eat. And it was totally a case of me being in the right place at the right time because our video team had uh, set up this whole day to go on this food tour. And like two days before, I was just like, oh, I can come and write about it. And then you can embed your videos in a story that I write. And they were like, oh, yeah, great idea. And so I came along and it was one of the most incredible food adventures of my life. And just luckily because they had totally set it up. And so we went to the fish market and saw them like pulling crabs out of the ocean. And then we were eating those crabs three hours later. And it was the same thing. Like you said, no seasoning, no butter, no cocktail sauce, just eating the crab plain. And it was perfect. And then we had like a crab stew and a crab dessert. And it was it was ridiculous. So, yeah, that was my only fun thing was food. That was the most jealous I've ever been. And I was like at the Olympics and I was like, no, it's not fair, which is like a very whiny thing to think while you're already getting to report the Olympics. But yeah, that was why I sought out the crowds because I was like, no, I'm not leaving before I have like my own incredible culinary experience at yeah. the Olympics. Although to get back to like complaining media reporters real quick. Sure. Lots of people were like, oh, Korea, is the food amazing? And I was like, what food? We're eating like, <laughs> like everything I ate except for those crabs, was, like, pre-packaged, like, just sodium, just sodium. Well, and we had I ate the free breakfast in our, uh, like, the condo place where we were staying. They had a free breakfast, and I probably ate that, like, 17 out of the 21 days that I was there and just loaded up and ate as much as I could for breakfast because I was, there were days I was skipping lunch and I'd look up and it's dinner time or... Uh, I would just like miss meals and I was like, I better just eat a nice full breakfast and that I, they had some Korean stuff, but I, I ate a pretty Americanized breakfast most days that I was there, which, uh, probably yeah, I wish I could say through. that like we were eating incredibly authentic food, but like mostly yeah. I was eating like microwavable cup of noodles <laughs> and then like scrambled eggs for breakfast. Yeah, I had um, the one, I had the one day and then a lot of my meals or some of it was just like, it was traditional Korean food, but it was like mass produced for, it was like cafeteria Korean food. Where you had the Korean dish, but it wasn't like you're in a restaurant being served by this amazing specialty chef. It was just like, you know, it's like if you came to America and you wanted to try American food, and then it was just like they were just like a million hamburgers on the grill at like your cafeteria in an office building or something like that. And it's like, uh, you know, I had a real American hamburger, and it's like, you know, that was like the kind of Korean food that we were having, I think. Yeah, I think I ate ate kimchi every single day. Yeah. Uh, And... I like that as a, as a traveling policy. My stomach felt amazing with all those probiotics. I'm just going to take a bunch of kimchi with me wherever I go now. Uh, yeah, kimchi was great. Otherwise, it was, yeah, it was just like noodles with sodium on top of them. Yeah. Well, I can say I'm jealous that you got to go to Seoul because that was one thing that I wanted to do. And I just – the way it worked out, I wasn't able to add on a day or uh, or like some people left a day early to get to it, uh, to spend a day in Seoul. I would have loved to do that. But I feel like I took the train through Seoul and didn't see anything and who knows if I'll ever get back. So uh, so I'm, I'm jealous you had a day over there. It was good. It was – but yeah, one day and like one day to see Seoul. Not enough. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of people went to Tokyo right afterwards. I know a couple of people who did that. And that makes a lot of sense. We did not think to do the, like, travel around the region. Yeah. Although I can't imagine, I can't imagine, like, making any memories after, like, the sensory overload of being in a new country covering all new sports for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, for and me, like, to, like go to a, a, relaxing, a relaxing trip would have been nice afterwards. But, like, uh, then to go do a hardcore travel 
trip, uh, I think, would have been a little bit much. So I don't want to complain, but yeah. I was I was ready to go home by day like nineteen or twenty, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I'm looking. I wrote up a few questions. I feel like we hit on. Not that this is like a you know, I don't. Wanna, it's not an official interview or anything here, but uh, I think we've touched <laughs> on touched on most of the things that I wanted to bring up. Um, I guess yeah. So I, I feel like we maybe talked about this, but one of the things I wanted to ask was just like, let's say the 2022 Olympics were tomorrow, uh, and I'll let you get out on this one. Like, you know, what would you have done differently? to prepare or while Ooh. you were over there, um, you know, how would... So much. What, 2022 what, or 2020? 20, right to our next Winter you, Olympic? I was thinking Winter, if you want to answer for 2020 or if you want to give me both. Basically, uh, you know, the, the big question, what did you learn from this experience that you uh, that will carry you forward? Uh, you, you, either 2020 or 2022, however you, want to, however you want to take it. So much. Well, I feel like we talked about this, yeah, a little bit. Is you got to, you like, all the best Olympic stuff is produced in the months before the Olympics. Um, I do a lot of video for Deadspin, and I thought, I'll do some video when I'm over the Olympics, which I did not do, uh, because you got to do that stuff ahead of time. So I would (laughs) call everybody ahead of time um, and try to do as much in terms of... Also, that's like a... I also didn't realize, like, in in doing stories ahead of time, that's when you meet the people. That's when you develop these contacts um, that prove to be so, so useful. Um, I also think I would try to, I thought, for my own benefit, I thought it would be fun to see as many sports as possible, but I think that that ended up really overwhelming me. Like, I wish that I had limited, actually, the number of, like, I would try to go to a sport specifically because I hadn't seen it yet at the games, and then that meant that, like, every single day I was being bombarded with entirely new information about rules. I think I would, like, go back to some things, so, like, for the Julia Marino piece, I went to the qualifiers and the finals and I was like impressed with myself at how much I knew like the tricks you were saying, like the different tricks that the snowboarders do even just going back for a second day, I would have loved to like know a little more at some of the events. Hmm. I went to a lot of mix zones, like you were saying, those don't prove to be especially useful. Uh, you can always go to the press conference later and you don't have to stand out in the cold and, jostle with a bunch of people that I would do differently. I would also, I was very scared to get away from the games entirely. Like I was sort of like, I wanted to find stories that were more about the region, but I was too nervous that if I like, if I left the like hyper media controlled Olympic zone that I would be sort of lost. And I would be because I don't speak Korean. Um, But I wish I had, like, I I think the biggest thing that I would do differently is try to not be motivated entirely by that feeling that we both talked about of being like, oh, no, what if I don't find a story today? That I wish that I had, like, taken a few more risks and just thought, like, no, I can dedicate two days to learning about alpine skiing, biathlon, speed skating, curling, whatever it is, before I write something. Or I can take a full day to not go to any events and just talk to volunteers or go see the city and see if something comes up. I think that, like, the pressure, it's not even necessarily the pressure of the games themselves. It's the pressure of the, like, 5,000 other media members and how incredible all of them are. It's the pressure of being surrounded by, like, the best sports reporters in the world that makes you feel like, 
every day I got to find a story and I wish I had like, I wish I hadn't felt that from the beginning. I wish I hadn't cried when I didn't have something to write about the <laughs> opening ceremony. I wish I had like trusted myself enough to know that like, okay, the opening ceremony is like an incredibly staged event. And unless you're Kim Burke back at Deadspin headquarters, making gifts about it, there's like not a ton to say. And like, that doesn't mean that this whole thing is going to be a failure and you don't need to like panic and write the first story you think of every day. You kind of, you can take a little bit of time to learn it. It would have been better if I'd taken the time before I even left. But if, you know, if I was leaving for Beijing 2022 tomorrow and I still hadn't done any prep work, I still think that I would be like, don't write a story for the first three days and see, like, see what comes out of it. See, like, where your, where your whimsy takes you. Yeah, Is that I think, a very long answer? That's, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, one of the stories, and I feel bad now, I don't even remember who wrote it or what outlet, but like one of the most impactful stories I'll remember is the one about the elderly volunteers. And yeah, they, that was written by the AP. Oh, it was. Oh, okay, well, well, there you go. Good, a plug for the AP. Um, but the one, and then they they wrote about you know tying together all of the elderly volunteers at the venues, which I noticed but hadn't. So I somehow hadn't put two and two together. Like, oh, a lot of these people are elderly. And then they wrote also just about the you know social norms in Korea and generational differences and how this is a big problem. And that was just this incredible story that was like right in front of everyone's noses. And I just never would have thought to do that. And even if I had, you know, I wouldn't have tied it together with the larger social issues uh, in the way that they had. You could tell that was a story that somebody had been working on for a long time and had this idea. And like you said, took time to get away from the games and talk to other people there. And that was just one of the things that I read. And I was just like, damn, this was this was really good reporting. Like, you know, they they really uh, they nailed this one. So, yeah, that yeah, uh, I will say like an actual actionable tip for anyone who covers the Olympics is like find an English language news outlet like like a week in i started following oh god i'm gonna forget the name there's like an english language korean newspaper and that was like honestly that was a big help just to be like what weird things are like they picking up on because it's 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 very tough to not speak the language like i do think that like if i spoke korean it would be like a very different experience to be able because it's it's tough to feel like you're only getting what they want you to get and you kind of are only getting what they want you to get because like you can't necessarily say to the bus driver like hey do you hate it here because <laughs> he doesn't understand you um and so as much as you can do to like break down those barriers like follow korean twitter accounts like i have a i'm lucky i have a friend who lives in seoul uh and he married a korean woman and like i would like text him pictures of things and be like what does this sign say like just trying to get like a little bit of you do have to actively fight against even more so than usual because you don't speak the language the product that the IOC is like trying to present to you yeah I had a cool experience where I uh, did an interview with somebody who SI had written about in 1960 which was really cool and just like a story that was kind of dropped in my lap but the the main subject was Korean and didn't speak very much English if any um, and so someone in the main press center was actually, they helped connect me with a translator who got to do the interview, uh, with me over the phone, which was really cool. And it was this awesome experience oh, awesome. being on speakerphone with this, uh, Olympian in his eighties. And then in the office, it's me and a translator. And it was 
so cool. The interview took twice as long because she's translating everything I'm saying and translating everything he's saying. And it was just like a very cool experience to see how small the world was while we were doing that interview. But then it also, I did feel like, you know, we were kind of losing something because uh, some stuff, a horrible pun gets lost in translation. But um, like there was a time he said something that was kind of funny and I had to ask the translator. I was like, is he is he making a joke? And she was like, yeah, joke. And I was like, okay, great. Oh, yeah, that is that is funny. And I had to, like, explain that it was a joke. And, like, the whole thing was paraphrased. And so it was fun. And I was glad that I got to do that. But you're right just about how the language barrier just makes it so much tougher when you, uh, you know, can't communicate with everybody around you. Um, so that was, that's one of my favorite memories from the time that I was there was doing that. But it's still, even as it was happening, I could tell that I was kind of missing out on a little bit and the context and some of the things that could have made it an even better story. Well, you and I are going to be fantastic at covering the LA Olympics. Yes, that is, that is <laughs> Whenever true. Those That'll be a lot easier. I was like, man, I'm going to get all of you back when it's LA, whatever <laughs> that is, 2026 or something. Uh, um, 28? I don't know. I should know. Oh, you're geez, you're okay. jet lagged. Yeah. You have an excuse. I don't have an excuse. I'm jet lagged. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. I uh, appreciate you being awake and alert and willing to do this. Yeah. Um, do you want to? Well, you know, right now it's like daytime and I'm just waking up. Oh, right. Oh, that's a good point. Um, All right. Do you want to plug? You're on Twitter. People can find your writing on Deadspin. But do you want to share your uh, Twitter handle and anything else that you want to plug? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm on Deadspin. Uh, um, You'll see me when it has my name on it. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H-R, because I'm not the only one, Kaiser, K-E-Y-S-E-R. At some point, there will be a biathlon story. Okay. Please read it, even though the Olympics are long over. <laughs> I promise it will be good. Uh, me and my biathlete went to the arcade to see if he was any good at uh, at the shooting arcade games since he has to shoot a gun uh, at the Olympics, and he was not. Spoiler. So <laughs> I like that. That's it'll a good, be a little bit of fun. Good tease for that story. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Hannah. Appreciate it again. And everyone can follow you on Twitter and keep an eye out for that story and also check out the ranking of the statues, which is very important and uh, a great piece of work from yeah. Korea. So, Thank all right. you so much. Sure fun. thing. Yep. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks again to Hannah. You can go make sure you follow her and check out all of her work. You can also, once again, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mitch Goldich, M-I-T-C-H-G-O-L-D-I-C-H. You can also make sure that you like my Facebook page. Just search for Mitch Goldich. It should be the one that pops up. And you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. You can always go back and listen to old episodes. My most recent one was with Eric Malinowski talking about his book that he just published. If you go back even further, you can find episodes with Jason Stark, Will Leach, a bunch of other people you've probably heard of. And I actually did a similar episode to this last year with Sarah Barshop from ESPN after she and I both covered our first Super Bowl. Um, So really similar episode to this one, and that one was a lot of fun too. Make sure while you're at it, you can rate and review uh, while you're subscribing. Let other people know that it's a fun podcast that they should listen to. I always appreciate those coming in. Lastly, make sure you check out Mitch Eats Food. I know it actually came up during the episode because we were talking about those red snow crabs. But uh, Mitch Eats Food has been a lot of fun so far. I basically do 10 to 15-minute episodes on one meal at a time. Sometimes it's just me by myself. Sometimes I bring on friends. Sometimes I bring in my fiance. She's a recurring guest. Uh, I have two episodes from Korea. They are the perfect listen after this. So why don't you go check those out? Thanks again to everybody for checking this out, and I will talk to you again real soon.